everybody, and welcome back to the Skullcast, the premier podcast about Berserk from the community at Skullnight.net. I am your eternal host, Walter, and joining me today for episode 139 are Azil. Hey. And Grail. Hey, everybody. And Gabola Tula. Uh, hello. Testing out the peaks and valleys in my mics. <laughs> <laughs> worked out really well. We are back one month later for the arrival of episode 372, which was out, I guess, uh, three days ago or so. So we've had some time to think about it and process it. It didn't take a whole lot of time, but we have thought about it and processed it. Uh, but before we get into that, there are one or two items of news. We could not collectively recall if we'd mentioned this before, but we should. And that is that volume 42 was announced. Uh, its release date is September 29th. So it's still, what is that? Five months in the future from now. Uh, so the past couple volumes, they've had special editions, which is like bonuses you get if you order it. This one is going to be a bust of guts with the activated armor. Uh, and it is available for international fans through Good Smile, and it's sold for 7,300 yen, which is approximately like 65 bucks. I'm just doing some quick head math on that. Uh, there's a picture of the bust. I don't know that there's a picture of the volume cover yet. That no. usually comes later. Yeah, it's probably going to be one of the color pictures uh, they've done. Yes, we've seen a couple of them. Uh, most recently, the one with Casca and Danan, I mean Griffith, on the from 372. <laughs> yeah. You really believed it was Danan when you first saw it. <laughs> well, I just kind of... We'll get to that. Give me, He's looking just, very fluffy and pink. So we'll get there. All right. The other piece of news is that uh, the Fukuoka wing of the Big Berserk exhibition has begun. And I think it's running until, what is it, mid-May? Something like that? May 12th, I think it is? No. Something like that. So, yes, the most recent um, version of the exhibition. Along with that, there is some new merch, although Azil's kind of done a quick review of it, and his verdict is... It's not great. Yeah. Not great. Not, nothing really you're missing out there right now. Yeah. They have some new t-shirts that, in my opinion, are quite bad. And they're releasing some little acrylic stand things with, like, super different version of the characters, but... They're not using Mira's art. I don't know who did them, but I don't find them very good. So honestly, I, I don't really see the point. Bummer. I think that's it for news. Um, oh, I mean, in, term, in terms of merch, let me just check in real quick. It's been three months since we came back from the exhibition. And I'll tell you, the one thing I definitely don't regret buying is that hoodie, which is still my favorite hoodie I've ever owned. I fucking mm. love that thing. Yeah, that's going like one. No, oh, yeah, that's called. Sorry, it's all black. It has the SK logo, a uh, little you know, rose and thorns on the breast, and on the back it has the full picture. You know, the insert from Volume Nine with the skull with the beard coming out of it. That whole thing. Anyway, it's yeah. beautiful and it's super comfy and it looks great. It's basically my ideal berserk hoodie that I've always wanted. And when we did the uh, <laughs> Skull Knight 20 years anniversary, that you remember, I was like, oh, it could be like you could have the logo embroidered on the on the breast and stuff. And <laughs> we couldn't get that done. And I did try to get it embroidered, but it was like, oh, you're ordering 10,000. That's no problem. I'm like, I'm not ordering 10,000. <laughs> yeah. It's all about the bulk. And they're order. like, oh, not 10000 That's going to cost you. <laughs> like, oh, shit. <laughs> I still uh, kind of wish I could have gotten uh, another one. Maybe I'll try to. So let's go ahead and get into it. Episode 372. I do have a summary, but before we do the summary, there is a color page uh, for this uh, this episode. 
And when I was just quickly skimming the young animal and it came in, I was like, okay, why is Danon next to Casca and Falcone? That's weird. Anyway, <laughs> moving on to the episode. And why did I think Griffith was Danon? Because they gave it pink hair and there's like petals and shit floating in the air. And so at a glimpse, I was like, oh, that's Danon. It's definitely Griffith. <laughs> but for a second there, I thought it was Danon. You know what? I think that's a problem. I think that's a problem that I thought it was Danon. Personal. To be fair, every 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 face in that picture looks weird. So yeah, yeah, yes. The Casca's likeness is really is I really didn't get it right. So I think that's what would be most problematic to me. Um, I mean, I appreciate the the attempt and everything, but yeah, her likeness is not great. So that that's my only comment on that. Hmm. It's got that evil smirk too. The characteristic of Griffith <laughs> evil smirk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we. We can get back on that. I also do notice that there's a pandemonium black dome visible in that picture. So is that a sign of things to come? Yeah. Who knows? But uh, yeah. And also another thing there is that uh, there's no mention of a chapter or arc title. Yeah. So weird. They did mention in Maury's note when this continuation kicked off that they would have six episodes and then a new arc. Yeah. They, you know, so it was it was in the young animal section of uh, the thing, not in Maury's. Uh, oh, okay, part. sorry. And they said no, 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 no problems. It's just uh, me being uh, precise. And so yeah, they said six episodes. Then the chapter would end, and then a new arc would begin. So it's very specific. Mm-hmm. So they did they ended up doing seven episodes because they couldn't you know get it done in the span they wanted. And they did not announce an end or a beginning. Honestly, I wouldn't, same as you, I wouldn't really care. And I mean, I don't really care, except they said they would do it. So it's kind of odd that they didn't. I'm not sure whether they forgot, they plan to do it later, or they decided they wouldn't do it. I only care insofar as it telegraphs a little bit of where things are headed. Yeah. Uh, it'd be nice to know if they said, for example, um, the, the Dark Age or the Shadow Age or something like that, Shadow right? Shadow Age? Yeah, sure. You get the idea, though. It would likely be Ankoku Jidai, which means, uh, yeah, Age of Darkness. Age of Darkness, yeah. No Jidai, actually, yeah, specifically. To counterbalance the Golden Age, the Age of Darkness, I thought that would be very cool. Yeah. And it would fit. It would be cool if that came back to be. I always thought that would be fitting for, like, the last arc of the series or maybe the last chapter of the last arc. You know, kind of the thing where it's coming and you got to prevent it before it's too late or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what they do. Yep. On to the summary, and then we'll get into the episode. Flying over the ocean, Casca sees Skellig fall apart and imagines Guts being left far behind her. Suddenly, she's awake in a bedroom in Falconia, wondering if she had been dreaming. Maid's dresser in a crimson dress with wings in the hairband, and take her for a walk around the city, seeing the world spiral tree and some Falcon soldiers. Casca does not speak here, but seeing the soldiers brings tears to her eyes. And in a field of flowers surrounded by children, she makes them some wreaths. Back at the mansion, Casca is served a meal and relaxes in a bath where she has a memory of her friends in Elfhelm before drifting off to sleep. In a memory, she screams, attacks her maids, and assaults the guards, snatching a sword and lopping off an arm before she is apparently overpowered. She thinks to herself that she has to go back then begins to call Gut's name before we cut back to her falling asleep back in her bed. Meanwhile, in Falconia's palace, 
Griffith is meeting with Locus and Grunbeld when Irvine arrives and informs them that Casca is back asleep and her escape attempt is ended. Griffith tells his lieutenants, East, and grins evilly as he stares at the world spiral tree. And that is the end of the episode. I did make a couple of assumptions. He probably picked up on some yeah. of that. Because of the sequence being exactly unclear what the sequence yeah. is, the biggest one being the black paneled pages of her escape attempt. My, I've actually gone back and forth whether that was exactly where it's supposed to be in the sequence, as in that escape happened that night, or she was remembering it happening from the past. So let's, yeah. let's start there with the sequence. Yeah, the first time I read it, it felt like it was sort of disjointed and I couldn't yeah. tell what was happening when. I think, so uh, that's been a recurring problem from this team, I would say, the confusion about the flow of things and what's going on. And yeah, many people said that. I think uh, like that escape attempt is inserted very roughly in between uh, the, uh, two scenes where she catatonic. And since the transitions don't provide any useful information, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of unclear. Like she's in the bath, she's got the flash of her memories. Next page, we see the water drop fall, which implies something, but I couldn't understand what it's implying, actually. Then she's sitting in her chair somewhere. Uh, there's a little house-shaped box next to her. That transition to the escape scene, then we transition back to her in bed. And so some people uh, suggested it might be a time loop where she's, she's stuck in the same repeating chain of events. She wakes mm. up in a daze. She tries to escape unsuccessfully every night. To me, there's no real hint that the same events keep reoccurring. I mean, there's a routine for sure, clearly yeah. it's established, but does she attempt escape every night? To me, that's unclear. And if they wanted to make that clear, they would have shown us a loop where she actually, like several attempts, several times she wake up. They don't bother yeah. with that. I also seen some speculation that she's being brainwashed or gets implanted false memory or something like that. Honestly, I don't think it's anything that fancy. And honest, I also don't think it really matters because what this serves to establish is simply that she's being kept busy by her handlers. They walk her through a kind of an inane routine every day so that she doesn't sink. And, and is that the bottom line? You know, she's captive. She's not mistreated, but she's captive. And while they're suppressing her mind, her memories still come through from time to time. I think that's what we're supposed to get out of this uh, scenario. Yep. It's the method of control. She's both here against her own will, but she's being kept here. Uh, yeah. plas in a placid state somehow. And to me, the fact that there's very placid Casca and aggressive Casca implies that, yes, I do think she's being drugged. There's also that whole page when they're feeding her and the ending panel of that page is her looking dr drugged, you know? Yeah. She's, she also got kind of a half asleep yeah. in a daze look throughout the whole thing. But uh, yeah, and it's, I mean, it does fit or previously mentioned expectations of what would happen to her, that she would be kept captive. I remember we had some back and forth, like, would she be kept in a dungeon? Somebody guarding the door or something. And this ends up being, um, yeah, I think it's a good um, in-between of her roaming freely in Falconia that somebody had mentioned. Mm -hmm. Her being kept in a dark cell, which you would think maybe her son wouldn't like that too much. So, yeah, she's being kept properly but at the same time she's not free to move and she's not even free to sink yeah i um i do think her being able to wander around falconia as a branded person invites lots of problems like logistical problems for a city yeah. that is inhabited by apostles sometimes mm -hmm. i understand the apostles are kept in pandemonium mostly there's nothing preventing them from just wandering around though right i mean 
Is yeah, there any? I mean, <laughs> there's also the problem of her basically having agency. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where um, this also, of course, this also complicates things in that regard because she just regained her mind. And now she's back to being like not herself. So mm-hmm. one of the things I couldn't help but wonder is if Mira would have really done it like that, if he intended for her soundness of mind to be taken away in such a manner so soon after recovering it. It does emphasize how consequential it was that Guts uh, restored her mind. It's also not clear to me whether we'll see her dealing with the trauma from the eclipse. I don't know what you guys think, but we, we were shown in her film uh, that it was a big challenge she would have to overcome uh, by herself, too. It's what Danon said. But now it's being displaced by this new situation. So kind of wonder if it won't be left uh, to the side. Right. It's like she's being stalled. Uh, yeah. One thing that stuck out to me with relation to this somewhat is that at the very beginning of the episode, they show her you know, flying away from the island and then picturing Guts. Is this the first time she's been depicted kind of picturing Guts in her mind? And yeah. uh, I, I thought that was interesting. It, it was kind of like, okay, well, maybe they're just showing it this way because this is the most straightforward way to convey this information. I couldn't help but wonder what Mira would have done in this scenario, you know, given that Casca hasn't really engaged with this version of Guts since her mind was restored, but she would remember what he looks like because yeah, she when she was Elaine, like. she would she would have, you know, perceived him that way, maybe. So, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Well, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a two-part thing, I think. So, she did remember, she had memories as Elaine of Guts uh, in the armor, although... When she, when she comes back from the corridor of dreams, she's got all these little glimpses. Guts is never shown like from the front. He's always at the, you know, it's from his back that she's looking at him. Right. And then when she sees him, she's got these attacks. And after that, every time she hears his voice or sees him, she's got this, uh, these panic attacks. So the fact she pictures him in her mind kind of contradicts, uh, this problem too. So I was also a bit uh, uneasy with that because, like, does this does this mean she doesn't have a problem with him anymore? She's calling his name, calling his name, and uh, visualizing him in her mind. I also had a thing to say because Walter, in your summary, you said I forgot what you said, but in her memories, she actually sees guts turning away and walking away from her, which is not at all what happens. She's yeah. the one being taken away. I also thought that was, um, I mean, an interesting choice. I don't think there's necessarily a lot of meaning behind it. You just oh, I say, oh. I, I do think there is meaning there. I think I think that is telegraphing something about a f- the future conflict here. Like the whole purpose to separate Casca in terms of the guts and Casca storyline. Like right now, the where we've left guts is a very isolated place. And and readers yeah. know and intuit what the problem there is, is that Casca has always been the one to bring him back, right? And now she's not there anymore. So I think that's all that really is telegraphing. I think I think the Studio Gaga yeah. knows that as well, and that without Casca there, she knows innately that that's a problem. That's sure, what I think. but yeah, but I meant like guts walking away from her, which I think. Oh, that's all, what you mean. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that choice because basically they had to do something visually to represent it. And I think they they chose to do that, which is it's an affecting visual, but uh, I'm not sure. Like that's not really accurate. Yeah, sure. It's not accurate. Were they trying to like recall how she felt when she when he left after he defeated Griffith or something? If that was the case, I would imagine they would have shown Golden Age guts doing that, like an exact memory, that kind of thing. 
Yeah, what it reminded me of, that's a good point, Gobs. I didn't think of that. What he reminded me of is uh, when Guts uh, has his dream after the eclipse. He sees uh, everyone in the band of the Falcon walking away and the horses is like, no, no, don't go, don't go. And they're all in the fog and they're walking away. That's what it kind of evoked to me, that kind of visual. Um, but yeah, I don't think I don't think it's got any real deep meaning behind it. I think it's just like a visual thing they did because they had to do something. I think yeah, it's just it's impression just too. <laughs> I think it's just underscoring that Guts and Casca are separated. That's all that moment yeah. is supposed to do. Whether it was ham-fistedly done or not, I mean, I think we can agree. It kind yeah. of invites questions, but the effect of that is they are separated, which is a problem. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, you, a depiction of that. You brought up a bunch of things, like in a big swirl of things you were bringing up about, like the state of her memory and all that. Like, I do think, I don't think they're tampering with her memories. I think they are drugging her to keep her docile, to keep her placid, to yeah. keep her thoughts calm. But I do think it does further complicate what is already a very complicated mental state for Casca because we're already trying to quiz ourselves about, well, what is it that's actually triggering for her? It's memories of the people and things that happened around in the vicinity of the eclipse. Right. Yeah. And some of those are just guesses and some of those are grounded, but they're further complicating it when they show the Falcon soldiers and we see that she has tears. Um, I mean, I, I, someone asked in the chat, why is she crying? And I was like, to me, it's that even though the memory of the Falcons is buried, to, uh, you know, the death of the Falcons is probably a memory that's buried to her. She probably at least latently senses what that is, that there is yeah. loss associated with those soldiers. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's why she's crying. But I think <laughs> it's a pretty complicated thing. I'm not sure that was so clearly communicated, you know? Well, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's back to what I was saying where, Mura, the way he established it is just talking about judo brought out this big uh, crisis because she remembered his death. So here, I think it's meant to convey the exact same thing. She hears the name Band of the Falcon and stuff. It evokes memories. And even in that subdued state of pardon here, whether through drugs or other means, she still got these tears because it evokes some things that's very sad to her. But yeah, the problem is we were basically told to expect that she would have to uh, walk through this. Yeah. Like, I know, we don't know how, but she would have to confront these memories to be able to, basically to just be able to face them without having a panic attack and to realize what happened and to walk through it and try and heal and, and go forward. And I guess the situation um, does not do that. It's a, it sidesteps the problem by saying, oh, now she's lost her memories again, uh, but will she be able to regain her mind? So we're kind of back to square one, but in a bit of a different way. Yeah, yeah, it's messy. It's a weird scenario. It went very quickly. They chewed up a lot of scenery in this episode. Like I, I, I constantly think when I see their use of space on the pages, I constantly think, most of the sequence could have been accomplished in three to four pages. And I don't, I'm not trying to exaggerate. I do. I just think, I think depicting Casca and Falconia to me, there's so much more to address than just they're keeping her in a docile state with drugs. Like, and that's, that's all this episode truly addresses. Uh, Whereas all the after effects of having a branded person in the city, uh, what the city is like, I just don't think they did a great job Mm. of conveying all the nuanced things that someone like Mira would have addressed once he raised this topic. It's just, it's not enough meat on the bone for me to chew through 
for such what it would otherwise be a very substantial movement for the series to take. It just, it doesn't feel substantial. Yeah, I think yeah. It, it it's back to the same things we were saying with the earlier episodes they did. I think Maury is trying to keep it simple. And he, like, he sets up a pretty simple, how to say, uh, storyboarding with, like, points to go through. And then they flesh it out to make it look like, uh, you know, a normal manga episode. But, yeah, it's very, like, a lot of things in this felt like filler to me. Um, and I don't say that, like, it's not pejorative or anything, but they felt like things that weren't important. And, for example, there's a, that scene with the war tree. Mm-hmm. So they come across and Casca is, you know, gazing at the three and they're like talking about how there's different ways to refer to it. And uh, some people were also asking, oh, what does this mean? What does it, what is he implying for the future? I think it means nothing. I think mm-hmm. it has absolutely no consequence. And so I'll tell you guys, I actually checked every occurrence of the tree being named. Th- that first woman, the maid, she refers to it as the Great Spiral Tree. Daira Senju Sama. She even says Sama to imply it's a, it's a high thing. And then somebody mentions Twin War Tree, uh, Sekai Soju in, in Japanese. And that first locution, uh, Great Spiral Tree was never used before in the series. What Raban calls it in episode, uh, 3 and 333 is a World Spiral Tree. So what you said, Walter, at the beginning, Sekai Rasenju. Then Sonia calls it uh, Twin World Tree uh, in episode 257. And on oh, yeah. other films, they just, they just call it World Tree. They just say World Tree. And I noted at the time, it's interesting that in other films, they would use a different uh, name for it without the spiral part, you know. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. as far as I can tell, so all, you've got all these names, all that thing. But as far as I can tell, that sequence is just filler dialogue. It's just, it just takes place between the maids. I don't think Casca is speaking there. No, there's no Casca dialogue here. Yeah, and well, I mean, so the reason I say so also is because there are two scenes in this episode where it's unclear who's speaking. The first one is with the tree, second one is with uh, the falcon soldiers. Yeah. But for some reason, no direction is given there to the speech bubbles. I'm not sure why. But it's in keeping with that scene where she is quietly going through these scenes. I think her yeah. speaking would have been, you know, a big deal, you know, yeah. in that scenario. Yeah, I agree. I, I think she's basically she's in a daze. Mm-hmm. And while she's gazing absent-mindedly at things, the maids are filling the space basically with idle chatter. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, when you look at the way it's constructed, logic would dictate that Casca be asking questions and the maids would be answering them. Right. But uh, I don't think that that's the case. And nope. Specifically, like in Japanese, uh, the interjection used at the beginning each time when they speak is ara. Uh, which is a, it's a specific interjection for women, but it's really something Casca would never use. So to me, it just means the maids are speaking between them to fill blanks, like I said, to fill the space while Casca is in a stupor. But if you look at the chatter and what people are saying, uh, it's unclear. People think Casca is speaking, Casca is recognizing the band of the Falcon. So again, there's confusion in, in that matter, as far as I know. Okay, what else? Um, so, so, sorry, I kind of just rammed it through here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I did think them mentioning the two-name thing was weird. I thought it was a way of them covering their bases if they themselves didn't know, they themselves being Studio Gaga. <laughs> like, just let's, let's just use all the names, and that way we're good. Um, yeah. I've always called it the World Spiral Tree, because that was the first real word we got from it. Yeah, it's what Raban called it. Honestly, yeah. I think they're just trying to say, hey, remember that stuff? Remember this? Uh, it, it's a way to... 
what they did before to tie in with yeah. what Murad established, but I think it's basically useless in this case. Like, you could remove the dialogue, wouldn't change anything. Yeah, if you look at... Puella's translation was recently posted just last night, I think. And if you just skim through that, it's a kind of appalling how much useless dialogue there is. Like, it's it's a boring read, Puella. Good work. It's really boring to read that episode. It's not her <sighs> fault, obviously. Her. Oh, my God. I mean, she she complains a lot about... I mean about the, the level of uh, dialogue. And mm-hmm. I have to say, it's it's what I said in the thread. I think Maurice, I don't know if he's not putting much of an effort or if he, I don't know, basically, I don't know what's going on. But yeah, it's true that the level of dialogue is not great. So I think they don't um, have much to say. And so they had, they're just adding words. You know, we got a glimpse of this early on, uh, 368 or 367, when dialogue first started appearing. And we were like, oh, yeah. they're going to add dialogue. But the things that they were saying were absolutely inconsequential or strange, you know, and that's kind of what mm. it is here. I feel like it's dialogue to fill space, dialogue to fill the scene and make it feel a little bit more like an actual manga episode, even yeah. though it's kind of not. <laughs> uh, I do think that's what dialogue is right. being used for. It, it's a tool. It almost feels like a, an outline kind of in the clothes of a manga. It's sort of like the mm-hmm. kya situation yeah. all over again, where it's like, okay, we're, we're just sort of hopping along here, hopping from scene to scene and trying to make sense of it. Yeah, yeah I think that's right. In addition to that, though, I do think this episode is relatively confusing because of the trance-like state that she's in. It mm. invites questions and the answers aren't you know, re- readily apparent. You know, and w- Once again, back to that sequence, one thing I didn't mention that could, to me clarifies that whole sequence is when I read Puella's translation, Irvine specifically refers to the fact that now, you know, he says the bird is asleep in her cage or whatever, obviously referring to Casca, but it's as if they're getting an update on something that recently happened, which yeah. establishes a timeline where prior to the translation, I would not have known that he's referring to that specific thing. So I do think those, even though it's black paneled pages, which generally is used for memories, I do think that's meant to be a in sequence event. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, I mean, I mean, I agree with you um, in as much as I think it's all very recent because some people were like, maybe it's been months and I don't think so. I think at most it's been like two, three days. Mm-hmm. And to me, whether it's uh, today or the day before, the idea is oh, yeah. now, we're, now we're sure that she's under control. Like either she tried to escape and we put, got her back or uh, she tried to escape yesterday, but today with the drugs or whatever, she's not trying anymore and so it's it's all good and basically mm. it's a way to say okay now we can proceed with the more important stuff because the idea is uh, we've neutralized the boy problem you know like the big picture thing is yeah before uh, every full moon or so griffiths would uh, transform and then fly off uh, wherever and, and that was a problem uh, for him and now that casca is in her cage Next time in transform, the boy can just go see her uh, at the orphanage or wherever they're hold, holding her, and and that won't be like it's a known quantity. They know where he is. He knows where he is. Yeah. And when he comes back, he's in Falconia. I'm glad you addressed that because it is something we've talked about a number of times on the podcast. But I did I did see a lot of new conversations around. Well, what's the circumstance? Why even have Casca here? What is yeah. Griffith's whole, you know, game with keeping her here in this state? And obviously, it's to placate the boy and to ease the tension uh, between Griffith, the boy, and Casca, so that things can go more expectedly or uh, predictably for Griffith in the future. 
Yeah, because I mean, I understand for for more casual fans who like don't really spend much time uh, checking the nitty gritty. You might just think, oh, Griffith is taking Casca away just to fuck with guts. <laughs> but actually, uh, I mean, if you think about it, why would he bother? Like, he could just kill her, he could kill him. The thing is, he's got this problem with the transformations that we evoked. At the same time, the boy won't probably let him, like, harm his parents. Like, he would he would take over like he did in Volume 22. Like, the rocks were falling, he moved to, to protect her. And when we saw uh, guts uh, fighting with Zod there was a heartbeat. So you, you get the feeling that even if Zod had somehow been trying to kill Gus at that moment, Griffiths might have intervened. And if he actually does, he said, let's go at, right after that. So yeah, it's a, it's a situation where he's limited in what he can do, but in order to placate that uh, little guy inside of him, he's, he's doing that. And yeah. that's the best way to do it. Uh, what else? Before we get to the East thing, which is not much to say. There's the orphanage thing that I mentioned. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, that's just a guess from me. But since she goes to see some little kids, I'm guessing she's either held as the orphanage Charlotte proposed to establish in episode 358 or nearby it. It doesn't make much sense as far as the time frames are concerned, in my opinion, because that would be like a months-long project. She wanted transplant flowers and stuff. And also, I mean, Griffith's plan was to have kids undergo uh, rigorous martial education to serve the state, not to stay idle in a garden. But, you know, whatever. I'm just guessing they've put it there as a an avenue for a meeting between Casca and Charlotte in the future. Like, Casca would go there as part of a routine of being driven around. Charlotte comes, recognizes her, takes her up for the tea. And even though Casca's handlers are trying to be like, oh, no, we can't. It's a queen. Like, what, what are you going to do? And that might be an opportunity for the drugs to wear off and Casca to escape again. Maybe, you know, take Charlotte off stage. Who knows? Well, whatever. that is exactly what I mean by having Casca in the city. They're treating it like it's not a logistical problem. It is a logistical problem because Charlotte yeah. knows Casca. How are you exactly going to circumvent that? Just keep Charlotte away from Casca? Not that not that them talking is immediately a problem. It is a potential problem. It's something I would want to keep a handle on if I was Griffith, you know. But he's keeping her in this like, oh, I just wander around. Who gives a shit? And let's not address any problems. There are problems, though. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it goes back to what I said. So when, when uh, she was first abducted, I, I like, she, she's got to be kept prisoner. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. So it's what's happening. And I also said at the time, the thing is, with her being in Falconia, it invites problems, including like with Charlotte specifically. So, and also yeah, apostles. Like, yeah, I recognize apostles serve Griffith totally. I'm with you on that. But apostles are apostles and they're yeah. hungry. And this is a branded yeah. <laughs> person, and we've seen how they've reacted to branded people. So, like, yeah, that's a problem too. Can you can you can you control that problem and, and you know constrain it? Certainly, I want to see that though because that's that's good drama stuff. You know, I'll, mm. I'll, why not why not at least address some of that in the twenty one pages that we had here? You know what I mean? Like, there's there's potential for again, there's potential for good stuff, but it's not being explored. It's just really skipping along the surface of a thin story. Uh, proposal. So yeah, well, I mean, I, I I'll say it could could happen later. I mean, it's always possible. I do think uh, if Mura had been doing it, of course, he would have had a lot more interesting stuff planned for it, including possibly an encounter with an apostle. Like again, you know, meet Charlotte. Hey, I'll show you the palace. 
then uh, you know some of these are like mm, I smell something, but uh, yeah, in this case, uh, since we're doing a more of a bullet pointed uh, summary expanded into episode thing, not sure not sure they'll do it basically mm. un- unless uh, more has specific information I guess. So we will see. I, I will say though, still on that topic, that I wonder whether Casca would really want to spend her day making like reads, crowns. Yeah, yeah, for 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 random kids. I mean, it doesn't seem like something she would gravitate towards. Even like I understand she's in an altered state of mind and and so on, but she was a warrior for all of her life, and and she likes taking care of her son because they've got a connection, and she's her son, you know. That's not quite the same thing as just yeah doing reads with kids. So I don't know. I've also felt like this is like just filler content to show that she's got a peaceful day and such. But I don't know. Rubs me the wrong way. It, it, well, I think the problem with the kids scene is just that it does not immediately invite well, what why they're doing this. Why why are yeah. they surfacing this now? And you kind of thought ahead about how that kind of scene could be recalled in the future. I think that's. I mean, I don't mean to be mean. I don't think I think it's giving them too much credit. I, I think they just wanted to show a peaceful scene with kids, you know. Could be. I don't Could know. Be, yeah. Don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it's something for her to do, but uh, also, I do think like keeping her keeping her in the orphanage to me makes a sort of sense uh, because I feel like the situation what it evokes to me with her is very asylum like. You know, evil asylum where you're sane, but they are keeping you and trying to gaslight you. And the fact mm-hmm. she's got these four uh, women with her, you know, everybody calls them maids. And it's true they're acting like maids, but it's not innocent as there's four of them. And I thought that was pretty well done because they're basically just guards, you know, female guards in disguise. And so they're just keeping an eye on her. And you see throughout the episodes, there's a couple of times where they're like, Stealing glances, seeing if she's reacting something and trying to pacify her. So I, I did like that that aspect of things uh, where it's it's clear she's being prisoner, even though uh, they are nice with her. Yeah, I was going to say, I like that aspect of the episode, too, how, you know, when she tries to escape, all the all the maids have to do or the attendants have to do is call the guards and they're on her in a minute. So it, it really illustrated how... Uh, you know, the nature of her captivity and how it's really not as nice as it seems. And that kind of felt a little bit more like berserk to me. Yeah. I I mean, Azil, you know, I discussed this before, but I, I thought they actually, it's one of the only things I really give Studio Gaga credit for here is they don't turn the page on Falconia being, you know, not great. This is mm. still looking like they are nice people helping a troubled woman who is in portrayed as the aggressor here. Do you see what I mean? Like they aren't, mm. they aren't coming in. What's the word? Roughing her up, manhandling her. <laughs> they never show that, but they do that by omitting what must be happening behind the scenes. You know, they're not mm. showing the fact that when she came there, she probably wasn't drugged and she probably wasn't all about being kept there. Right. But they don't show that they omit that part. They're showing the friendly aspects of this captivity. I think it's to maintain the facade, you know, to readers even, that Falconia is a happy place. Yeah. Well, so the, the escape attempt might be after she arrived and before that drug her and she tried to escape at that time. Good. Then they shut her up and uh, she's yeah. been docile ever since. That's a, a possibility. The, mm. the escape attempt, I just wanted to say, I didn't even pick up on this until I was doing my notes last night. She actually got pretty far. If you look at and they're carrying torches at one point after she cuts the guy's arm off, you know, she runs for a bit. 
um, you see cobblestones and they have torches yeah. out. So she got beyond her little place into the city streets at night. So yeah, yeah. she got decently far. Yeah, and there's a lot of guards after her. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of honestly, it's um, I kind of wish they had done her justice or more, like giving her more credits, shown her fighting and escaping better than they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 it's not, it's not bad per se, but. I'm just thinking of like how Mira would have done it and just like, yeah, I want more. I mean, show me Casca being badass. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just cutting a guy's arm, that's not enough. Yeah. And she did smash a pot. <laughs> it's, yeah. Or when or she cuts the guy's face. arm, she's also, she reflects on it. You know, she's like kind of scared of the bloodletting is what it looks like it happens, you know? Like she has this reflection of the sword in her eyes in that next panel. And it's like she's intimidated by her own aggression. Like, that shouldn't be Casca. That's not the Casca that I yeah. know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it didn't make... Yeah, I agree. It didn't make sense to me, that, that part where... I mean, I understand her being frantic or something, but she she looks... Uh, yeah, she looks, uh, like you say, almost afraid of the of the weapon, which is... Uh, I mean, that's not who she was. We, we saw her in the film. She was, like, cutting the dolls up like uh, nobody's business. And if they're keeping her... From Guts and the rest, if she's in this lucid state of mind, that wouldn't slow her down. That shouldn't slow yeah. her down, you know? These are the people that are imprisoning her. That's that's a fact, you know? Yeah, and, and she's shown, like, she's running, and then she's underground, like she's exhausted or something. Again, you know, so what I would have... I, could, I can't help but do this, but I was thinking, you know, what, what, I, what would I do if I was trying to emulate Mura's stuff? You show her beating these guys and escaping and getting pretty far. And then when she thinks she's she's like, she's done it, like she got, she feels pain in her brand. And there's this Raksha standing in a dark corner or Irvine or whoever, whatever. But basically, you know, she's got some things that she can't overpower. And, and that's how they catch her. And then you show nice side of Falconia and you show darker side of Falconia. And yeah, that's how, totally. you know, she can't escape. Uh, and yeah, just showing her like I don't know, she's tripping and falling on the on the ground. I mean, it's what Mira did for the hundred men fight, but she was unwell at that time. She wasn't herself. Like in a normal situation, even against three or four opponents, she would just kill them. Oh, they they shortcutted it. They know they wanted to get her to a point where she got captured again, and they just kind of shortcutted exactly how that happens. You know, without yeah. really addressing a realistic scenario. Yeah, I think. I do like the idea of an apostle intervening in this. I, I just think that turns a whole new page on, you know, I'm not saying they can't do it. I'm just saying to me, that's a whole other dimension that they would be adding because then it's like, if she senses that brand feeling and she knows it's an apostle, then that's going to trigger a memory. You know, that's going to trigger a traumatic memory because she will remember what that feels like. And that's fine well, to do that. But that's, do they want to do that in this episode or not? You know, I don't know. Well, I mean, she was already escaping. And so it's, it's again, and at the end, you see Irvine arrive and report on it. Yeah. So it's kind of the same thing. You know, it's, it's just a way of doing it, basically. And my feeling is like, if if uh, Mira were doing this, he would have spent less time on her, her daily routine, mm-hmm. more time on the actual escape attempt and the badass part and her being stopped pretty dramatically. Uh, and then you you don't even need to have the report, you know. It's just like Locus speaks for itself. Yeah, Locus saying it's done or it's handled or mm-hmm. whatever. As I I agree uh, with what you're saying, I think it comes to, down to one of those weird 
kind of impasses that we come up against every time we review these episodes, which is, you know, how much does Studio Gaga and and how much does Maury know? And, uh, you know, is there reasoning like, you know, Mira didn't provide context for why Casca was recaptured, but then did did, did Mira explain to Maury like, oh, Rakshas says to Griffith, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's it's weird because you really don't know what the conversation was like and what the notes were. And so you kind of have to, I don't know, fill well, in the spaces while they're filling in the spaces. I think yeah. it's clear that there's not much fidelity in terms of what Miro was able to communicate. Like the broad yeah. strokes are there. You can, as we've done, we you can bullet point 365 to now pretty cleanly. But beyond the bullet points, you know, I think that's what was not communicated, and they're having to stretch themselves to fill those. It's just not much. Yeah. There's not much, not enough fidelity straight from Miura to fill those gaps eloquently, and so they're just kind of like bumbling through each point. Yeah, I think what you said earlier, Greg, is exactly right. Is that they, they've got a, a summary of, of what's going on, so she's being kept prisoner, but docile, not mistreated. Then from that, they have to like elaborate and make something. And because they don't have the details of what her escape attempt would be like, maybe Mara said, oh, she tries to escape, but she can't. But they they can't say, well, they won't take the liberty or they don't feel comfortable doing something more elaborate than what they show, which is not very much. And that might also explain why the, uh, the construction of the story is very disjointed like that, which ends up being confusing for, for people. Mm. Right. Someone in chat is asking what color the world spiral trees uh, branches are. And I said, it's golden Elden ring. That's my answer for that. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, gold makes sense. Whitish makes sense. Mm-hmm. Another color. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, next East. Ah, uh, wait, wait. Damn it. Do we talk about the dress or not? Who cares about the it's dress? neat. Yeah, it's all right. Okay, I didn't like it. That's why I said so. Well, yeah. the episode title. Tell me the episode title, Azil. Uh it's uh, the Red Raven uh, sleeps in the birdcage. The Raven? Yeah. Caw. Yeah. yeah, like specifically the biggest type of crow. So Raven, <laughs> really. That's that's yeah. Because you you might think, well, uh, Sonia called the Kushans. Crows yeah. and your little uh, oh, crow no. on the oh, no. ugly little duckling. Since Casca's got black skin, oh, no. why not being a crow too? Oh boy! So, I wondered I, if that's where that was going. I oh, mean, I so I have no honestly. When I saw the title, I was like, "What?" Um, yeah, I, I have no. I don't know. I have no explanation for what it means. I think it's just uh, it's just pretty lazy, basically. I I thought now as surface level cliche as it is, I thought it was you know neat that they did the bird is trapped in her bird cage. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I see what you're yeah. doing. I see hey, you you put some thought into how that's constructed. And I was like, oh wow. yeah, that's, so there's some actual writing happening here instead of just the the tree is bright today. It is the soldiers are so brave, like great. And then they have Irvine says something of you know. With color in it, some thought put oh into it, right? See? It's, it's pretty, honestly, I thought uh, Irvine's line was pretty weak, honestly. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not cliche. A bird in a birdcage to describe someone yeah, who's trapped, I, yeah. I get it. Hey, 
I'm just giving him credit, some credit relative to the other writing that I've seen in these episodes. Yeah. You know, that's it. He's, he's even saying he's calling her more like a baby bird too. Mm-hmm. It's like a little chick. Sure. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you're. I mean, you're right. It's better than Kairu, Kairu, Kairu. Mm-hmm. You got it. <laughs> See. And again, again, uh, no fault yeah. to Koila that that episode is boring to read. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're not doing much right. with the script here. So, yeah. Uh, to go back to the dress, yeah. uh, I thought that it was okay for somebody who was attempting to emulate Mira's style, but nobody designs dresses like Mira, so it was a little bit. It's kind of hard to get into it because it looks very, looks like a bunch of stuff put together to me, and mm. the dress seemed weirdly short, and you can yeah. see your little heels. And uh, yeah, I, I, I like the head the headpiece, but that was that was the headpiece looks out. like it's from the 1930s, like a flapper dress kind of hairpiece, like that feather going in the back, like like that. a little fascinator. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's uh, it's strangely elaborate. I, I mean, I agree with you, Grail. Uh, I I don't think the design is very good. I think it's like uh, it's too basic at the bust and sleeves and too revealing on the legs compared to the other dresses within the series. Like you said, it's too short. I think it's short because that may have just been to show off the high heels. Um, but I also think those are very uncharacteristic and don't make sense in the context because Mira never had any character wear high heels in the series. And when you look at the kind of dresses uh, Charlotte is wearing, for example, the, as a queen, uh, they're very unlike that. So I, I think... Uh, they were probably trying to emulate the dress Dana had made for Casca because it, she, that was a very special and pretty risque dress. But I think that one was meant to be very unique. So it uh, doesn't really work in this context, I think. Uh, I'm also not really sure why Casca is being given a special dress, given her predicament. Uh, I think she just have a bunch of fancy clothes, you know, like a noble woman. And that's right. it. Ha- ha- how many special outfits has she had since she was reintroduced? Eighteen. <laughs> well, she she's had the the dress Dana made her, but a very specific point was like, oh, I don't like wearing dresses. Mm-hmm. Then she got the basic uh, wooden elf guard outfit, which was clearly not meant to be kept forever, uh, because I, to me at least, it felt very hot say not cool enough, basically. So I was like, hmm, she's got to have cool. like some armor or something on top of that because that's that's just not enough. So, yeah, now she's got this one. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't imagine it's going to be permanent. And I also feel like it would be weird if she wore the same dress every day <laughs> yes. because she's not going to be wearing the same clothes every day. No, that, fine this dress is going to get off. You know, it's yeah. just gonna. We, I don't know how long it'll be, but yeah, obviously not a freak, not a fixture for Casca. It's not very Casca. Yeah. So the thing is, why give her that special red dress as that's even evoked in the title? Yeah, I don't know. They're just nitpicking, but yeah, again, kind of rubs me the the wrong way. I think she's a special political prisoner, basically. You know, so she's being yeah. treated in a special way. Sure, that's about it. Um, in the bath scene, she remembers her friends, which is specifically Shirke, Farnese, uh, Danon, and, you know, everybody else in the background there. No guts, obviously. Um, and then his drop of water hits the uh, bath water and it creates a ripple effect. And then she drifts mm. off to sleep and then the attack comes. You know, you asked why the ripple. I mean, I think it's just a visual thing, but, you know, when 
something falls into still water, it creates ripples and thus change, right? So I think her mind, her otherwise calm mind was being disrupted by these memories. And that's what triggers the her waking up okay. and attacking. Yeah, I agree. So fully agree with that. That's also like the basic, most logical assumption. Mm-hmm. But the problem is she's in her bath. This drops. Then we transition from the bath to her sitting on a chair somewhere. Mm-hmm. We, yep. we don't know where she is. We don't know what the chair is doing. Then from that scene, we transition to the escape attempt. Then after that, we transition to her in bed. So she moved like the water drops in the bath. Yep. Then she moves from the bath to the chair. Yep. Then we got the escape attempt. Then she's back in bed. So she basically goes from three different places with the escape attempt in between. And it's not at all. I mean, you know what I mean? It's yeah, not sure. Clear it's not a, it's not a one-to-one causal thing. Yeah. If she, so let's just say, let's just say she had been in the bath. The water drops. We see like her face being like she's, she's taken aback. She's got, she's realizing something. Mm-hmm. It's coming back. Mm-hmm. Then we see her running, escape attempt. They catch her. Then we see her back in bed, dozing off. Then you're thinking, okay, she was in the bath. She suddenly she remembered. She tried to escape. They caught her, dragged her back. She's back in bed. But because they've got that chair scene in between, it's like, what's going on? <laughs> she was in the bath. Then she sat in a chair. From the chair, she remembered that she attempted to escape. You know what I mean? It's confusing because it's not well done. I think if it was, if there was, if the direction was there to show this was not a memory, this was directly happening. I think that would it would work perfectly congruently with the story as presented. Making yeah. it a memory to me makes no sense. Like it doesn't. It, that further complicates the sequence. I agree. I mean, I agree. I'm not, uh, I don't have, and like I said earlier, honestly, what's <laughs> what's funny about this is that it doesn't matter at all. No, it doesn't. It doesn't, it's change, just, it doesn't it's, change anything. It's The reason we're even talking about it is because it's confusing. And I'm just trying yeah. to get to kind of sure. a, an agreement on, boy, this is really hard to follow. Can we agree with that? Now that we know it's confusing, what do we think the consensus is on what is happening? <laughs> Let's yeah, unravel yeah. this mystery. Yeah, I'm, I, honestly, I think it. Uh, the, the bottom line is it doesn't matter, so it's kind of useless to yeah to talk about it. I think it's just yeah being clumsy. Executive, it's a basically. it's a what's the word? It's the it's a consequence of the way the story was constructed, uh, in the way that they did it. It's not necessarily yeah. meaningful in the way it is done. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go to the end of the episode. We haven't talked about this at all yet. Uh, Irvine, Locus, Grunbelt, and Zod hiding behind some columns, looking like carbon copy of his volume 23 self yeah. uh, are in this scene next to the world tree and they're waiting orders and Griffith says east and Locus pauses and he's like east east okay got it boss uh, Grunbeld looks on with significance right uh, east and then Griffith grins evilly can we talk about this grin for a second here before we get to east sure. oh boy I recognize that Griffith is the bad guy I, I get that. I've read Berserk. I saw what he did in volume 13. I remember. You know, you don't need to tell me that he's the bad guy. I, I got it. Uh, how many times in Berserk's history does Griffith grin evilly? I can think Volume of, 3, in front of Ganishka, and no. here. He doesn't I, grin evilly in front of Ganishka, I think. It's very, very slight. Not evil. It's just like... I can think yeah, of it's one. A, it's, it's a little smirk. I agree. Yeah. yeah. He's got kind of a smirk. The biggest one is at the fountain with Charlotte. You got it. When we hear about the death yeah. of Adonis and Julius, uh, he grins yeah. evilly. Just kind of like this. Yeah. Right? 
But that's, that's think, a real evil grin. Yeah, he does at that time. Sure. Yeah, evil smile. What I think grin. happened is that Studio Gaga was refreshing their memory by rewatching the uh, Berserk 2016 anime and, oh, yeah. and watched that the opening. opening. Right. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, Griffith does an evil smile. Okay, we'll put that's that in. That's his thing. He, he smiles evilly all the time. Um, I, yeah, yeah, I don't even know what you're talking about with the I hate anime. it. I hate it <laughs> but, so much. <laughs> yeah, I, so I agree with your point, Walter. He, we shouldn't be looking vaguely sinister every time with him. And I mean, there's a reason Mura never did that in the 20 volumes since uh, Femto was incarnated. He always shows him, even when he's alone, even when no one's looking, even when he's, he's with the apostles, he's just looking very almost blank-faced. Cold and oh, distant, oh. because he's a demigod. Yeah. Right after Rickard slapped him, there was like a close-up panel of just his mouth, and you could barely tell like what he was feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because it's, uh, it doesn't register to him. So I agree with that, and I think that's just them being uh, taking liberties or maybe not being uh, fully 100% on what the character should be doing. That being said, to go back to what you said earlier about uh, Falconia, I, I do think Griffiths is due for a reveal eventually, uh, you know, casting off the nice guy image. I don't think that's what they were trying for this time. Uh, and I don't think like the maids and all that stuff, I don't think that's meant to be something about Falconia and people being nice. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a little bit... Um... No, they're not outwardly, they're not like aggressively nice. What I, what I mean is the worm has not yet turned for Falconia. Like this was not the moment for it. That that card yeah. has yet to be played. And that's yeah, why I they agree. had to kind of like basically maintain their positions uh, in terms of their role in the story. And that that has not changed yet. Yeah, I guess my, my, uh, my thought is more... Would this be a moment where Mura would show Griffiths being a little more sinister with, you know, with the fact Casca is being kept prisoner, mm. basically? She was abducted and, and is being kept prisoner. I, I don't know. Of course, I, I, I mean, I can't tell. Um, but yeah, I don't think that's done in a way that uh, he might have done himself. Yeah, it's really just that the, the grin annoys me because it doesn't seem characteristic <laughs> of Griffith. Uh, this Griffith, you know what no. I mean? That's, that's all All I really mean to say is that. And we also saw it again in 365, uh, I yeah. believe, in that also. Yeah, they've been doing pretty much every time uh, Every time he shows up. Yeah. He's got that kind of vague, vaguely evil or... It's it's like, you know, when you see a TV adaptation of something and you see a character doing something, an actor doing something that they shouldn't. Like, that's not how that character would act. That's not how that character no. would talk, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, we, we've all got all little nitpicks. Sure. Look at me with the dress, you know. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's small things. Even even the tree, for example, if you look at the, the spiral tree, it's not actually a spiral. It's just a, just a tree. Oh, there's a, there's a little nick. I see it. It's under his cape. There's a twisty. Yeah, but, you know, guys. Oh, I, mean, I see what you're saying. You're saying uh, the branches don't, like, hug each other in the way they should. Yeah, I mean, the two trunks are supposed to be really yeah, turning yeah. Uh, you know, around each other. And, and uh Yeah, they, they didn't do it, you know, like, like in neither of the panels where they showed the tree. That's true. Same thing. I mean, I don't care. I get it. It's not. It should also be bigger than that. They're at ground zero for that thing. That thing should take up the whole page in that perspective, right? Yeah, yeah. Same thing. I mean, like you know, the same thing. We get it. Sure. Okay. You see, he's got these little clouds uh, under the branches that show he's really tall. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, east. Um, uh, what's east? Well, the the kingdom of Balden. 
All right. That's the key to this whole thing, guys. Waltoria. Yeah. Waltoria. Yeah, you see? Yeah. You see? That's how you know I'm I'm the top expert on buzzard. Oh, man. I've got the stupidest answer. <laughs> no, I just... Yeah, so my take, because a lot of people were saying, oh, they're going to go to the cushion lands and it's going to be the cushion campaign. And I knew, and honestly, I think that's just basically, again, I don't think it's very consequential. Um, my, my, my guess is it just means to be like, well, let's go keep going with the conquest. Now that the boy's uh, problem is solved, we can keep going with all important plans. And I'm not sure we're actually going to be seeing much of uh, the conquest in question. I mean, kind of the same with uh, what we saw with the giants. Mm -hmm. So they had this battle, they conquered that, they were like, okay, problem solved. Then uh, the next episode, Locus was like, oh, if we retake the goblin lands, uh, we can get the silver mines going and to, to mint more coins. And I think it might be the same kind of thing where maybe we'll get a, a glimpse of what they're doing there. I'm not expecting, you know, that to be a big part of the thing. I think Mura might have uh, shown us uh, some nice glimpses of them, yeah, conquering land, retaking some stuff. But I think mostly it's not going to be shown and it's going to be off screen. Well, it does invite the natural question of shouldn't there be something of more consequence than just conquering territories from astral creatures? Because the circumstance with the boy being sewn up, invites the question of what's the next stage in the God Hands plan? Is it just to unify the the continent? And in, in, insofar as you can unify a continent that is yeah. pure wilderness right now, you know? Well, I'll tell you what I've, uh, what I've told you before, mm -hmm. and I think what I've told some guy uh, just a couple of days ago. I think the lo logical expectation is that Griffiths will have conquered the entire continent or will be well on his way to doing so by the time the series ends. Uh, most of it will have occurred off screen, of course, but for a reason we don't fully understand yet, the God Hands plan, their master plan, relies on reproducing the conditions that existed during Geyseric's reign. At that time, Geyseric and his allies managed to thwart uh, Void's objective somehow, even though it came at great cost and they all died and so on, but they managed to thwart it. But the thing is, those conditions with one emperor reigning uh, you know, on the entire continent seem to be key to something. So now the God Hand is doing it in a way that they fully control. No uh, finicky emperor that's trying to fuck you up. They've got one of their own as the emperor-to-be, and it's the culmination of that thousand years long plan. And of course, we don't exactly know what the plan is, except that it's evil. And uh, yeah, and it's gonna fail because of Guts and Casca's son, which is a fidic uh, karmic retribution for Femto's sins. Sure. I, that, that is an excellent postulation about where things ultimately are headed broad strokes but and you, you kind of alluded to it already though and that is that there has to be something more beyond just conquering and that, that's all i'm really saying is that sure. to me east can't just be i'm going to put a flag in somewhere new uh it seems like around now they would begin to lift the veil on where it's all heading uh because all of that necessitates an ad additional reveals for variables we don't know about yet you know because it's not like our view shed into the future is drastically different now than it was 10 years ago, even, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, sure. I'm, yeah, I agree. I keep waiting for the introduction of a new things. And that's why when someone says East, oh, it's probably that cushion place, that does not change the scope of the story. That does not alter things in a meaningful way. So, I feel like 
if they're going to change things, it needs to be more than a goblin mine. It needs to be something. They need to hint yeah. at something happening that will alter the story's trajectory. I think, uh, yeah, so I think the difference is uh, you believe, like, it's consequential that he says East, where I'm thinking, eh, probably just mean let's go on with our conquering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Maybe. just because uh, really it's if, it's, if it's just nothing, then there's no drama here. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I agree. Uh, you may as well say carry on. I mean, keep on. Great. Yeah. We'll do, boss. Thanks. I mean, I think it's it's <laughs> about... Uh, honestly, I, I don't think it makes... I think that's basically the same thing, what they're doing here. Mm -hmm. Because it's just... He really does just say East. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Locus just repeat East. So, I don't know. I... Yeah. You know, I feel like if there was some really big, uh, very important goal east, why not like make the kingdom east in the first place? Why not make Ganishka the fifth man of the good hand? You know what I mean? If it's in cushion lands. I don't know. I have a hard time thinking that there's going... You know what I mean? I don't think they're going to go there to grab a, a magic stone. And that stone is going to be the key that will shed light on everything. I think he's going to be conquering the whole continent. Then it's going to be, okay, now I can crown myself emperor because for him, that's kind of his ambition, mm -hmm. even though he's going to have a bigger ambition even after that. And then that's going to be when Void has his master plan coming into place and that's when it's going to be disturbed and they're going to be destroyed. But uh, I don't know that specifically going to a place is going to be, you know what I mean, to be a big change. No, I, no, I, I guess more... I think it, they need to start turning that page is really all I'm trying to communicate uh, mm -hmm. for the story to remain interesting and on target for a conclusion. I feel like they need to start changing yeah. the status quo and this is nothing so far has changed the status quo. Yeah. I mean, it's back to us wondering whether they can do multiple things at, at once or are comfortable doing so. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think this might have just been like the the Casca is being captive episode. And then mm -hmm. they hint that they are going to do something. And um, yeah, I don't know. Honestly, okay. I've uh, I've no particular idea what they are planning to do after that. So yeah, that's a nice way of wrapping this up and thinking about 373. What's up with 370? What do you think will happen next? Uh, so first, the uh, next episode is due out next month. I think it's the 26th. So... Once again, the monthly schedule. Um, as far as where we'll go, I don't know that there. I, I, I know that there is more to do in the city of Alconia. Uh, I just, yeah. for some reason, I, I see it going elsewhere because they kind of took their time with how to establish the Casca circumstance. So I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like they'll revisit this again uh, for a bit. But I could be wrong. It could be the next one is all about Casca again. I don't know. Mm. Depends who's uh, like what what uh, skills they're on. Mm -hmm. I'm also thinking probably go back to guts, mm. um, show their circumstance, then a while later go back to Casca and introduce her escaping or something. The other possibilities, of course, Rickert and the Bakiraka. So people were also mentioning, oh, Rickert and the Bakiraka are in the east, so that's why Griffith is going to attack them. Um, we, we are not told where uh, the Bakaraka's special fortress is. It could be north, south, wherever. Well, it's only being offered because that's one of the only other locations standing. Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, it, it's a, it's an assumption that makes sense. You know, it, it's one of the things where they might go. But I don't think... 
these guys couldn't stand against Griffiths. If he went there with his armies, he would just kill them because they are indestructible. Mm -hmm. Might be interesting if Rakshas is uh, attacking them. That's something I posited a long time ago. Would be cool to see uh, a rematch. Oh yeah, Rakshas is uh, he's with a group of his guys. He's infiltrating them and with Rickert, Daiba, the Bakaraka combines. They just managed to resist and fuck them up. That would have been interesting to see. Might make sense because Rakshas is not shown with the other four guys here. Uh, but also it might just not be shown because Mori doesn't know what to do with him and won't show him again. Yep. Hard to say. Yep. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have a strong feeling about where things are headed. Uh, next. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm comfortable just waiting to see at this point. Uh, again, we're getting this little summary, uh, bullet pointed things yep. uh, of what we intended. So fine by me. Uh, whether Guts, whether Falconia or even R- Rickert would be interesting uh, in any case. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's it for 373. Um, right. Hmm. Got some time to fill here, though. So, uh, what are you guys up to? Just sitting here talking to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I've been um, just. Go how ahead, about God. that uh, new Breath of the Wild? Game. Oh yeah, I um, it was a new one. No, oh, because I was saying, is it is it out yet? Tears of the Kingdom. Two weeks. Well, yeah. Okay, I was. Uh, yeah, we've ordered it. it. Yeah, we haven't played it yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was uh, sorry, I didn't understand. Yeah, I, I pre-ordered it when it was announced, probably same day. But I'm, I'm not super. I don't know. I'm not super expecting it actually. I, yeah. I, I've yet to have my appetite wet for. First of all, I love Breath of the Wild. I played that game two and a half times through at this point, like hundreds cool. of hours I've invested in that game. Um, I just don't know that I'm ready to go back to that world again because I've already been there a lot, and I understand things have changed. Um, the thing that kind of like, just kind of like irks me is that the only thing they've substantially shown is that yes, you can combine items and yes, you can put stuff together, but like, that's, that's cool, but that's not a whole game. You know, I I need some more (laughs) meat than just putting meat on an arrow and shooting it. I like that you can put meat on an arrow and shoot it. I think it's funny that the Moblins are going to want to eat that. I just, I need more direction about what to expect from the game. The direction is up because you can shoot through a ceiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think honestly, uh, the the emergent gameplay using the game, you know, in-game physics and the powers were such a big hit that they decided to lean in heavily in that direction. Yeah, and that's why they're like uh, put pushing the tinkering aspect forward uh, in their marketing material so far. You, you're probably going to be able to just like use your sword and kill the enemies uh, the standard way but yeah probably it's gonna be hey look you can create a platform and fly up in the sky and then drop down on the fortress and skipping like all the battles and if you want to do that they'll be like yeah sure fine you want to do that go ahead whatever mm-hmm. you know I, I don't necessarily mind it myself but I'm also not super like I'm not super excited by it so I'm pretty much I'm just waiting to waiting to see it. In short, I'm, I'll play it when it comes out, and I hope it's great. Yeah. I also loved Breath of the Wild, so I'm not too worried. 
But uh, yeah, I'm not sure I want to like you know create a, an an SUV or a four by four and just <laughs> drive around high rules. That's not really my thing. So yeah, I'll make a who knows make a train. You know, it's big tracks again. Yeah, people are excited though. It created quite a bit of chatter on the internet. It's just whenever I saw on YouTube on initially in Breath of the Wild that you could use the minecart in the volcano area. You could, you know, you could manipulate that so that you could fly around. I was just kind of like, oh, neat. But I wasn't like, I got to go try that. I want to go fly around. the. That wasn't, that's just not how the way I play those games. You know, I, I'm not the kind of guy that exploits games to like, you know, crack them or break them and get into the seams. And now I can clip behind the wall and get into the bathroom or whatever, you know. Simply <laughs> said, we're just too fucking old, man. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just want to play the game, you know. We're just cranky old men. <laughs> I want to play the real game, not the mechanics of the game. Uh, you know, I've actually... So I told you that, I, I think. I've, I've been playing Siren, PS2 game, mm -hmm. uh, Japanese horror PS2 game that I'm, I'm playing on the PS4. I bought it off the store, of course. And uh, I'm having the time of my life with it. Wow. But it's such a... It's a really great game, honestly. I wish I had discovered it back then because uh, it's really... I'm Or at least been interested enough to buy it. So I'm I'm playing with British uh, voices because uh, I can't get the Japanese voices on my version, which is horrendous. I'm not gonna lie, uh, because it's a very Japanesey game. You're in a Japanese fishing village, and it's about Japanese old timey stuff, and they're all speaking like uh, you know Londoners or something. <laughs> Core so blimey! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not. I mean, they're trying, but uh, yeah, it's not great. Um, uh, I've watched playthroughs of, of that game. It's very atmospheric, and the way they do faces is very unnerving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So faces are great. I mean, for the time, it's fucking incredible. And it's also, I mean, so it's built as horror, and I was expecting something like a Silent Hill or Resident Evil, but it's actually, so it's not, I'm, I don't get scared with video games. So to me, like, there's, like, the horror element is non-existent. I mean, there's, like, uh, zombies or whatever, but... Who gets scared by that, right? Um, I mean, at least not me. But the thing is, it's got like a, a story that's being told through a, a litany of characters. You, you've got like, I don't know, 12 or 15 characters. And it's told by stages, basically. You've got a level you get through. And you got several different routes. Like there's always two routes you can take. And whatever you do in a level... Like you, you grab an item, you'll keep it for the next one, or you unlock something, another character can do it. So it's actually it's almost like a puzzle. And uh, I'm actually kind of pulling my hair sometimes to be like, how do, I, how do I do this thing? Oh, I have to go back to this, push this stone so that this lantern can be lit. Oh, it's, it's such a, it's a pain in the ass, but uh, yeah, I enjoy it a lot. So uh, that's what I've been doing. That's what I'm going to be doing as soon as this is over. Is, are you playing on PS4? Yeah, I'm playing on PS4. Uh, it's probably you can probably get the game for free if you get the like the subscription thing. Mm -hmm. But I just bought it. It's like ten bucks. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's great. It's fine. It's weird. I, I, it comes. It came out during the time when I wasn't really following video games closely at all. So I totally missed it. Yeah, same. I don't even know what year it came out. Uh, oh three, uh, it looks like. Yeah, that's what it seemed like appropriate to me. And I think at the time, uh, yeah, I was playing EverQuest and uh, getting into Berserk. So uh, no time for that shit. <laughs> yeah, I was in college. Just didn't follow games for like four years or so. Um, you know what game I played recently? Um, Yakuza 0. Mm -hmm. Oh. 
Have any of you guys played any of the uh, Yakuza games? No, I've never got into them, but uh, I know a lot of people love them. I've seen a it's- lot of Zero and playthroughs and stuff. Uh, it looks cool. I-, I actually own it, but it's one of those games I own and intended to play and never have played. Same. <laughs> it's pretty fucking wacky. I love it. It looks cool. Yeah. I, like, I, I particularly mm-hmm. like, and it, you know, an open world thing is fine. Uh, I like the fact that it's showing Japan in the 80s, like it's capturing Japan in the 80s. I think that's a cool scenario, personally. There were a lot of little flashback moments I had playing that game, uh, like walking into convenience stores. Mm-hmm. It took me back to our trip. Oh, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> there were a lot of, you know, Irashamase and Sumimasen's. Oh, yeah. and- so much talking for a little transaction. That's right. Nice. Yeah. Like I want to buy a bottle of water and it's like at least six sentences before that bottle of water becomes mine. (laughs) Very polite. (laughs) Yes. We're not used to it. (laughs) Another game I'm looking forward to is the sequel to Hollow Knight. Oh, yeah. Silk Song. I don't know when that's coming out. Nobody does. I know very little about it. I don't think they have a specific release date. I I think it's Q3, I think is what they said. I think. All right. Um, I enjoyed that one, but uh, I'm more looking for what I'm not really. Uh, I mean, I, I I don't really care about the sequel, which is sure. I'll, I guess I'll play it. I do look forward to the uh, what's it called? The thing with the like from Spain, you know the. Jeez, well now I can't remember the name. Gonna have to check it out. But uh, it's also a two D side scroller. What's it called? Blasphemy. Yeah. That's not from Spain, yeah. is it? Blasphemous. Yeah, it's from Spain. Oh, yeah. is it? From, it's from a Spanish oh. studio, and it's... <laughs> if you just, But you just said that game from Spain. I don't know that I would assume it's blasphemous. Why? Well, you, you, you found it anyway, yeah. so it's a success. Yeah, Blasphemous <laughs> too. yeah. It's, um, I'm looking oh. forward to that. I like the atmosphere in that game. I got to finish the first one. I, that I game was that. a lot. That was a lot of just... Christian imagery taken to the metal cover level. You know what I mean? Just, <laughs> I'm yeah. excited for that. <laughs> the sword, you yeah. yeah it's just a. I played. I don't know an hour of it, and um, I don't. I didn't dislike it. Let me put it that way. Uh, I, I was not moved to play more. It was just so thick with lore stuff right from the bat. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's based on uh, on their local folklore. That's why it's very heavy into that kind of imagery but that's also what makes it interesting i mean the gameplay is not great mm-hmm. uh it's it's pretty basic but yeah the whole i don't know visually and the atmosphere was nice so mm-hmm. i enjoyed it for that and i'm looking forward to the second one for that also i liked oh. that character in hollow knight the girl i don't know what kind of bib yeah. she is. i like that character a lot wasp no. i don't know um Hornet. i'm glad that that's the main character because She's a little more dynamic than the main character in Hollow Knight, who I found extremely boring to play as. Like, he has that yeah. one little slash, and then you got to do a backstep. Mm. Then you got to jump in and do a slash and do a backstep. That's how you <laughs> do all the bosses. It's like, come on, the whole game like this? Like, I like the world. I like the design. I, I got a little bored with the grayscale of the whole game. Um, but mm. this character looks very dynamic, uh, and I'm interested to see what they do with it. Yeah, if the gameplay is better, uh, I think I enjoy it. Uh, that's also, to me, one of the weak points of the first one. It was very, let's say, not very dynamic. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, you're doing the same thing over and over, basically. Yeah. Uh, I have been playing 
a game that I'm really reluctant to talk about because I'm still kind of gauging if it's like really good or not. Uh, it's called Dungeon Drafters. It's a game on Steam that I played during the Steam Next Fest, which is a bunch of demos of upcoming games. And the demo was really good. Um, it's sort of like a tactics game, and it's also a card game. So, and it's a roguelike. So, it t- stop me if you've heard of these genres before. They've they've been slapped together many times. So, in that sense, it's kind of generic. But there's something really cool about the way they do all these things. Uh, mm. Every room is challenging. Kind of has that Dark Souls thing where even this like low level guy can fuck you up if you don't play your cards right. And there's lots of different abilities and you can totally apply one of like five or six totally different strategies based on the cards you have in your hand. So I'm having a lot of fun with it. It remains to be seen if it can keep that hook. Um, It does have music from the guy that did Secret of Mana, uh, Hiroki Kikuta. Mm. And the graphic style is sort of like Secret of Mana in that way as well. And whenever you go to a new location in the map, you zoom into it in the same way Secret of Mana did. So all those real superficial things is what got me interested. Uh, but sounds like you're trying to bait me into buying this game. No, I don't think you should buy it. It's kind of it's, <laughs> yeah. it's twenty five bucks. I think you should. And and again, it's a roguelike. So every you know, I don't actually you don't actually wipe that often. You can wipe, and you wipe, you just lose what you gain in that turn. But what's fun about it is just the different levels of agency you have and how you clear a room. It's Super awesome. Like you can trade locations of enemies, you can trigger traps, you can do all sorts of crazy stuff. There's like hundreds of different abilities you have in that game. That's what makes it fun to me. So that does that does sound pretty cool, but I'm still feeling burned after buying chained echoes, so Sure. Me that was on you. I never said you should buy that game. Yeah, but you did you did say it was promising and stuff. I don't know, maybe I uh, I don't know. No, I but just, uh, I weighed in the first three hours, and I think the first three hours are very promising in that game. That first mm region you come across that first zone i think they spent a lot of time on that versus the last half of that game yeah i think i do wish i could get my 25 bucks uh, back sheesh on that one. <laughs> i don't think it's worth a refund i think that i think it's a decent game i don't think it's yeah, amazing sure. i'm supporting indie developers so mm-hmm. i'll do it what i would like is a sequel to slash aspire though oh they'll make one that's a super successful game yeah, I mean, that's the one. I say that because I still, sometimes I'll just get the Switch, lay in bed and just, you know, even though I, by, by my own set of goals, I finished it uh, 100%. I mean, I didn't get like Ascension 20 with every character, but I did what I wanted. But still, it's so easy to just jump in, yeah. play a game. It's like, you know, to just spend an hour on it. And I don't know, it's a, it's a really great game. Wish there were more like that. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk about, not that I have like a schedule or anything, but I did want to mention to you guys. I, I mentioned it pre before the show, and that is uh, my son and I have started watching Star Wars together, kind of like mm-hmm. in a real spaced out fashion. Spaced out meaning like we watch half of a movie one night, and then a couple nights later we'll finish it, that kind of thing. So we wrapped Empire two nights ago. We finished it. Uh, and just started Jedi last night. All I did was just go through the Java scene. Uh, and it's really interesting. And it's something I've been waiting for my whole life, really, to like see, to show someone these things that were important to me when I was a kid and see how they react to them. And I will say, 
My son's reaction to Empire Strikes Back was not great. <laughs> yeah. uh. He did not like Empire Strikes Back. He did not like the fact that the good guys effectively lose in the end. I'm like, that's the cool part. Um, he thought the lightsaber battle in Empire was boring because there was no music. I was like, okay. Tough critic. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> oh, that was funny because as I was watching it next to him, I was struck and, or stricken by how beautiful it's shot. Okay, that, that scene, that. What's the word? The cinematography in that movie for a sci-fi movie in the eighties is fucking stellar. And like the set design yeah, when they're in that cool. like cryo room with the, the carbonite room, it looks so cool yeah. with all the fog around and everything. I was thinking to myself, this looks so good. And my son's over here saying, this is boring. I'm like, what the fuck? Oh, come on, man. <laughs> you know, I, because my wife, uh, Never watched Star Star Wars, yeah. and I was like, eh, "I don't care about this stuff. I like good movies, mm-hmm. not this garbage." <laughs> uh, so I was like, "You know what? Let's try and watch like the first two, uh, the first Star Wars, because it's such a you know it's iconic and stuff." And maybe we made it like twenty minutes in, and she was like, "Oh my god, just turns this shit off." A New Hope is rough. <laughs> it, I mean, yeah. having just watched A New Hope again like a week or two ago, it's real rough. Um, so it's okay, but I think it is not aged quite as well as some of the older ones. Like uh, yeah. Empire was a breath of fresh air, like immediately obvious that yeah. they spent a lot more time on how it looked and felt. Like it. there's some great dialogue in those movies too that still made me laugh. I mean, Lucas made the right choice in getting someone else to direct it. Yeah, pretty simply. Mm. I mean, it's just like stepping away was the best decision he ever made. Yep. So yeah, t- tonight we're gonna wrap up Jedi. He's gonna see the Ewoks for the first time. Uh, yeah, that's what I was waiting for. Now, next, you're watching the Ewoks movie. That's exactly where I was going to go. Because <laughs> when I was when I was his age, he's ten. I think the Ewok movies were my favorite Star Wars uh, material, which is of course gross. Uh, but I was ten, <laughs> and I like those furry guys. Okay. That was also my introduction to Star Wars. I didn't watch the Star Wars until I was much older. I, I only saw the Ewok yeah, movies. See, yeah. that's some good stuff. <laughs> I was going to say, I think I watched the Ewok movies before watching the actual Star Wars movies. Uh, I'm pretty sure of that. I'm probably the the same. Ewok to Star Wars pipeline. I do remember seeing Empire and Jedi as a kid, but I couldn't tell you what the sequence was if I saw them out of order or or Ewoks or whatever. I don't remember. Same. Well, enough of this bullshit. Gobs has been watching Star Trek TNG. Oh, hell. That's a stuff. (laughs) How far are you guys? How far are you guys? I'm in season three. Oh, good. Uh, Tasha's seen everything. I, I got I got to hand it to Gobbs. He's he's been soldiering through. He he watched all of season one and season two in good. sequence, no breaks. Jeez. No, no. I mean, he, he he did he did watch a little bit every day, but he he just didn't skip an episode. Is what I'm trying to say, and I I really admire his uh, mental fortitude. Mm. How do you like oh, the uh, you. the conspiracy uh, episode uh, season ender where they've got uh, bugs uh, in them, oh, and stuff yummy. Like that. blowing up heads and stuff? Yeah, that one was so good. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that one. I, it gets it's cr- brutal. Yeah, kind of crazy brutal when like it's like like an action movie at the very end. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of funny. Picard just blowing that. people's heads off. <laughs> Uh, season I like all the uh, iconic episodes, like uh, Measure of a Hell Man. Yeah. That's that was excellent. One of the yeah, best episodes sure. of TV. Period. I have a real soft spot for Q because when I was a little kid, I used to watch uh, TNG with my dad, and like we watched, like I, I watched like maybe season one and two back then, and I I barely remember it. 
But I, I really remember loving Q. Mm. Just because he was such a weirdo, yeah. and I still kind of like him now. I know he's kind of divisive. I have no problem. I, I like. I certainly like the idea of an extra dimensional being like that. Um, I think they use him in kind of boring ways sometimes. Like, yeah, he fits in. I just given the possibility. Watch this space, episode, you know? and he literally like fucking plopped onto the ship naked, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this is the best guy ever. I mean, that crew, that that whole setup. It, he benefit they benefit from someone like crazy like him you know what i mean for exactly that reason right. like to interject their otherwise boring you know setup yeah and i do think like the actual first encounter with the borg when he's like oh yeah you sh- you think you're hot shit picard well let's see you face against these guys and then oh, he sends him over there yeah. that's yeah, fucking that's like cool. that's fucking real that's fucking real man he basically just oh, flicks the, the enterprise into yeah. Thousands of light years away. Uh, Back yeah, when the Borg was cool. Yeah. yeah. That's the kind of stuff I thought was cool about Q. With his potential to just like totally wreck shit. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're in season three. Uh, season three has a really, really good uh, last episode. That's, that's it. I'm looking forward yeah, to it's it. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I kind of peter out through the last couple seasons of TNG. I think six... It ends at seven, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't seven. remember anything about season seven at all, other than the ending. They were kind of priming up uh, Deep Space Nine at the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they started introducing a lot more prosthetics and getting a little bit more into the lore of the politics and economy mm-hmm. of, of that part of the galaxy. And, uh, you know, the episodes are okay. I feel like they don't hit as hard as some of the stuff that we were just talking about. but. Mm. They wrapped it up nicely, I thought. Yeah, we see some some Cardassians and Ferengi and stuff like that, I think. Yeah, they bust out the latex. Yeah. <laughs> I read something. It's funny. I was telling Azil about this. I'm not sure how it's going to translate, but like, I was reading about Wesley Crusher. <laughs> yeah. And I read something Wesley. about how. Oh, I can't talk about it because it spoils stuff in season seven. Never mind. I can't talk about it. Uh, well, you can <laughs> say it's pretty lame. Yeah, it goes. It get off the damn bridge. Basically, goes into like a. I don't know. It, it talks about the ultimate, like what's going on with him beyond TNG. I don't want to do that. It's uh, he's basically like Pucci from The Simpsons. <laughs> he died on oh. the way back to his home planet. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much okay. it. Except he didn't. He didn't die. He, didn't die. But, uh, yeah. he got recruited by interdimensional bikers. Basically, he, he got. Uh, he got uh, Nilus. Nilus. Yeah. <laughs> I'm what not sure who fuck? can say that. Nilus is a guy from uh, Voyager. No. And, uh, near, the, near the end of that, they were like, just, oh, now you're going to be an ambassador. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I, I misheard you. I thought you said Wesley becomes an, a nihilist. No. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. A nihilist. <laughs> I was because like, I was trying to remember the name of the guy from Voyager. I'm not sure. Neelix? Yeah, Neelix. That's right. I was like, is it yeah. Nilus or Neelix? Yeah. So, um, yeah, but yeah, basically, it's just, uh, he's uh, offloaded, essentially. Mm. Yeah, but in a really, you, in a really lame way. That sucks. And also, and also culturally appropriative way, I must say. Hmm. It's gonna be problematic. You're Mm-mm. gonna love it. Uh oh, I'm gonna cancel Patrick Stewart. <laughs> well, it's more. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I forgot. I don't know who needs to be canceled, but someone needs to pay for this. <laughs> um, <laughs> Starship. What's his name? Starship Mine is Rick, season. Rick. Berman. Try to find it. You know, I'll say. Uh, speaking of that, I actually watched the third season of Picard. 
Oh yeah. Uh, which yeah, season one was really sucked. Season two I didn't watch, but apparently it was horrendous. Season three they really tried to make things right, uh, so you get a lot of fan service and like the the whole crew's back and stuff, and they try to tie it neatly. I still think it's like uh, unnecessary, basically, and uh, I didn't like the ending very much. I think it was very cliche. Um, but hmm. uh, I did have some pretty good moments where I was like, hell yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So, yeah. Ooh. My was friend neat. told me, and I haven't watched this video, but apparently it made Rich Evans cry. From Red Letter Media? Oh, oh I actually watched, so I watched their review of it. I, I don't I don't know if he actually cried. I don't remember, but uh, uh. I I do remember they really liked it, and okay. I I was uh, I I guess I'm more critical than them on that one. I thought it was all right, but I didn't like the ending very much. Whereas uh, Boss Rich and uh, Mike were very I don't know apparently very excited from what they were saying. Eh, I thought it was fine, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm really Maybe. impressed they even gave it the time of day. I guess they kind of have to as their job. Uh, to review that kind of yeah. stuff. But, you know, I watched their review of season one and like they were just throwing Alex Kurtzman under the bus like constantly. <laughs> and he's still the guy. They right? were brutal. He's still the guy. No. no? They, so they, it's another dude who directed it oh. and executive produced it. So Kurtzman is still like he's overlooking the entire uh, Star Trek franchise. But uh, it, I, I guess I think this other guy really saved it. Because Kurtzman would have just done more bullshit. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, both of them are, are really huge uh, track nerds. So, I mean, that's why they're doing it. And also, I think it probably, like, gets a lot of views. So, like you said, it's a job for them. Mm-hmm. They, they make all the bucks with it. But, um, yeah, um, honestly, it was okay. I think my favorite part of it was that the the evil woman, uh, I forgot her name, she actually calls Picard using a French accent. She calls him Jean Luc Picard, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is which is how you would say it in French. And I, I, I this is so enjoyable to me. It doesn't make any fucking sense because she's a space alien. So why would she? Why would she say it like she, that? But it's like she went on that's Duolingo. The, that's the actress coming through the character. Yeah, you know what I mean? The actress must be like Canadian or yeah, something. Yeah. In any case, she knows French and she's speak, saying it the French way. And, and she said. Sorry. Sorry, fun fact, I was just going to say her name is Amanda Plummer, and she's the daughter of the actor who played Kang, uh, what was it, Kang Chang, oh. in, in one of the Star Trek movies. Cool. Oh. oh, interesting. Wow. Very interesting. Okay. Not Christopher Plummer's daughter? Is that is that the actor's name, Christopher Plummer? Yeah, yeah, Christopher mm. Plummer. I don't know. I don't know. I've never even seen his daughter before. Yeah, I'm not sure Christopher Plummer played, but it could be. In any case, she, the way she pronounces it is very delightful, and I enjoyed it, even though I didn't enjoy like her character at some moments, but it ends up being annoying uh, midway through. Hmm. Oh, that's too bad. Overall, honestly, I think this uh, like new Trek stuff has been a kind of a disaster to me. I mean, just uh, do not like it. Yeah, I'm not watching that. It's been a long road. <laughs> Hey, you know, Enterprise. So Enterprise, first couple of seasons were rough. I'll give you that. Uh, Of course, I do like the the actor, you know, guy from uh, Quantum Leap. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, season three is basically Mass Effect. It's like the Mass Effect prototype. Uh, I think uh, Bioware just ripped it off to create Mass Effect pretty much. Uh, So it's pretty great because it's like action-oriented. I think famously, there's an episode where they're machine gunning uh, zombie uh, Vulcans 
Uh, so that's pretty great. And uh, season, <laughs> season four is a super nerdy thing where almost every episode is about, it's like referencing uh, the original series with Kirk. And they are, for example, they, they explain away the reason um, Klingons don't have like the um, skull plates in like the original series, but they got the, the skull plates in, in the next generation. Of course, the reason is that they had more budget and they knew how to do prosthetics, so they made them different. But they actually retroactively explain it away, and it's only like tons of shit like that. So if you haven't seen TOS, you can't understand why it's great. But when I watched that, that I had watched TOS uh, pretty, you know, not long before, so I got a lot of enjoyment out of it. Mm. So Enterprise, honestly, um, yeah, some some good moments. <laughs> I was telling you the other day as that I actually watched a little bit of Lower Decks. Oh, yeah. And it's it's not very – I mean, there's I, – I enjoy it. I'll just start off by saying I enjoy it. It's not the best thing ever, but it's, it's, it's a fun little thing to have on in the background when I'm doing other stuff. It's kind of like an Ant-Man, but in cartoon form. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I, I don't know why, but in my head this is – Star Trek Family Guy. I don't know. I've seen pictures of it, it's and that's kinda, all I've yeah. seen. It looks like Family it's, Guy to me. looks kind of Rick and Morty Family yeah. Guy-ish. Yeah, I thought it was uh, It was sort of a situation where they saw Rick and Morty and was like, oh, we got to do that now. Right. But with Star Trek. That was I mean, before, it's not like uh, super raunchy or anything, and it is very sci-fi-ish, but yeah. it's, it's too silly to be actual Star mm. Trek. Yeah, I think my the, the main problem with it, and it goes back to I think uh, Reddit Media's criticism of uh, Kurtzman stuff is they are trying to make it kind of gimmicky and cool, and yeah. it's almost a Big Bang theory ish, where they're like, "Oh, science isn't that fucking cool, guys?" <laughs> Whereas, like the original Star Trek series, I mean, it's professional people. These guys are like military officers. They are not like giving little quips or saying, hey, that's funny. You know, it's just like doing our jobs. And I mean, that might seem boring, like to a certain crowd, but it's probably not meant to appeal to that crowd. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of a serious show, even though it's right. got some funny moments. Overall, it's a serious show about serious people doing serious things. So, yeah, I think yeah. That's, that's why, uh, I mean, Lower Decks, but, you know, I, I watched like a trailer for it. I was like, eh. Not for me. I think I think what yeah. Star Trek is now is a direct response to the overall but perception of Star Trek as a series. Like whoever owns it is probably saying, We need to counteract this nerd shit. You know, with something else. Oh, you know what I'm saying? We need to get some yeah. we need to get that guy from twenty four. Yeah. Yeah, I like Jack Bauer. Make, Bring him over. <laughs> make it cool. Yeah, because this nerd shit's not gonna fly in the future, guys. We can't have people making fun of our show. So we gotta make it big bang boom, explosions and laser guns. So how can we do that? Yeah, it's too bad because I remember, so I also watched the first season of Discovery and uh, they've got some good actors in that. Like they, they, they had, they hired pretty great actors. They had great special effects, but it's a writing, like the writing's a problem. The writing's terrible. And and I mean, you know, if the writing's bad, the show's bad. Mm -hmm. I think the question that I have is that you know, could you bring in a, a procedural show like the way TNG was and, and to an extent Voyager and Deep Space Nine with kind of heavy on the discussions and heavy on the back and forth without so much the action boom explosion 
part and have it still be popular if it was written well. I'd like to think that's possible. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, what's that show named? The Orville? Uh, by the oh, yeah. And the Seth MacFarlane thing? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty much, I think he's trying to reproduce Star Trek, like the original Trek stuff. And uh, isn't that uh, pretty popular from what I read? I, I think so. I've never seen it. Yeah, yeah, people people talk about it a lot uh, in re- reference to Star Trek and say, hey, it's my favorite Star Trek, the Orville. <laughs> I think the, yeah. if the question is, can you have a dialogue-driven show these days? I think absolutely. Uh, the problem, I think, comes from, again, the perspective of other people, perception of other people. Because it's a sci-fi, it has to do certain things. Mm. I'm not saying that's a yeah, you- right perspective, but it is often the perspective. Yeah. I mean, same as always, it all hinges on uh, the guy that's controlling the thing, mm-hmm. uh, knowing what he's doing and having his heart in the right place. And evidently, this Kurtzman guy uh, is not the guy for it. But uh, yeah, what can you do? You hate to see it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not, Star Trek is not super dear to my heart. I, I quite enjoyed it when I uh, watched it. Uh, I don't know. I think I got into it maybe 15 years ago. Someday, I, it's right. actually Griffiths who recommended it to me. He told me, oh, you like Mass Effect? You should really check uh, Trek. I was like, you know what? Fine. I'll watch the entire franchise, every season of every <laughs> series in order. And I did Good that. It, it took me like, I don't know, two years. <laughs> mm-hmm. How are you? How are you but, uh, how's it going on The Wire, though? The Wire, uh, I'm at like uh, minute five of episode All one. All right, okay, you'll <laughs> get there. That was seven years ago. Oh, of, uh, you learned second. about Snot Boogie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so... That's, that's right, Walter, that is in the first episode. Walter yeah. recommended me uh, The Wire ages ago, and I, I tried watching the first episode, and uh, yeah, I don't know, it just bored me. Probably 15 years ago at this point. I think I think I actually watched the first episode. Yeah, like, I think fully, you did. And, and, I, and I didn't watch the second. Okay. I, I'm very, very picky with shows. I'm sorry. I'm very picky with shows. That's why I recommended The Wire. Yeah. Boom. Well, Counterpoint. Sure. Sure. I mean, sure, sure, uh, sure. I'll, I'll get to it. Yep. <laughs> Just after I finish reading Vagabond, I'll get oh, to Jesus. it. I promise. Why is Vagabond ahead <laughs> of The Wire? Don't you have to watch Breaking Bad first too? Oh no, Breaking which also Bad, should not please. be ahead of The Wire. Yeah, I mean, same thing. I also didn't watch Game of Fucking Thrones. Yeah, I don't care. It doesn't interest me. I don't know. I don't have a, an explanation for it. Hmm. But uh, the wire is is uh, top of the line. I I swear it's on it's in, on top of the list. Mm-hmm. And that list is in a drawer somewhere, like on buried by shit. Oh my god. Maybe you know what? I should. I'll watch it just to. Put that to rest. Mm-hmm. Just, but it's really because you're my friend. Mm-hmm. You're really my dear, dear friend, and I'll, I'll make that sacrifice for you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate <laughs> it. I want my friend to endure pain too. That's why I'm recommending. Yeah, it. yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> if it's not for you, it's not for you. That's fine. I just, uh, yeah, all those characters. I mean, I rewatched that show again uh, last year. The whole thing uh, still hits me. All right, I'll tell you. I saw the. I saw um, an extract on. Uh, on YouTube of like this uh, black chick who goes to a hardware store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Buy like a, a nail gun. Season four. Yeah, that yeah. was pretty. That was pretty good. So I, yeah. I watched like four minutes or whatever, how long, however long that was. That was pretty good. Yeah. Does that count as watching the series? Am I you, for, the for via now? YouTube? I, I think these days it does. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, I do watch. I start to say I do watch a lot of 
like Seinfeld clips or, or Simpsons clips on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, nice. you know, when I'm like in, I don't know, public transportation or something, I've got five Sometimes minutes. you just need a fix. Yeah, yeah. this is just, it's a pretty shitty way to experience it. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I bow to David Lynch, but. Uh, I don't think I'd ever <laughs> seen steamed hams except on YouTube. I don't think I ever yeah, saw, I, mean, I never saw steamed hams as intended. I just saw the various <laughs> YouTube clips and parodies of it, you know? Well, I mean, I mean, even even the stuff I watch of The Simpsons on YouTube is like from the early seasons. I haven't, like, I, I don't think I've ever seen past season seven or eight or something like that. It's a it's a long show. Oh yeah, I mean, it's still going, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. Yep. Yeah, Jesus. Gob and I watched a few recent episodes, and uh, some of them are okay. You know, it goes back and forth. I think yeah. the writing is inconsistent. I mean, which is natural given the show's been going on for so many years. Is it like forty Frankly, years almost to this point? It was 89, right? Wow. As long as Berserk. That's what it is. 89. Damn. Yeah, so 30, 33 years of, of Simpsons uh, writing to kind of sift through. But Is it the same voice uh, actors? Yes. Oh, my God. Can you just... Yeah. Oh, that's except, crazy. Except for all the uh, people of color. <laughs> yeah, they, they've been recast. Yeah. Really? Oh, my God. Okay. Well, they fixed racism. And Apu's gone. Oh, they removed That's him? right. They removed him because he was apparently a racist caricature, even though he was a full fl- I I'm not going to get into it, but I really liked mm. Apu. I like Apu, yeah, too. Yeah, it's kind of bad. Yeah, like, I feel like he, you might have just evolved the way he's portrayed. and uh, but Yeah, that's that's the thing, is that Apu was a good character. He just had a, an accent that was, you know, voiced by a white person mm. in, you know. Oh, it's because the voice actor was white. Okay, I see. Yeah. You know, it's funny, in the... The Little Mermaid uh, by Disney, the French version of the old movie, uh, the, what's it called? The crab guy? I forgot his name, the lobster. Sebastian. Sebastian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the original guy in French who did the voice was doing like a super like Jamaican, like heavy, handy Jamaican accent thing to the yeah. point where it's been replaced. I don't know when they did it, but they, they revoiced it in a less caricatural way along along the, the way and when you listen to the old voice it's really, it's it's almost funny because of how heavy ended it is. Mm. And oh, you know, that's I, interesting. And to me it doesn't feel honestly it doesn't feel racist, but it's very like yeah, it's caricatural. Yeah. That's really interesting because the English speaking voice hasn't garnered any uh, uh attention in that way as far as I know when, you know, other stuff has been like pointed out like stuff in Dumbo and it's it's interesting because uh you know he does have a very kind of intense Jamaican accent in the English version too of course but nobody's nobody's talked about having to get it replaced yeah I mean I, I wouldn't even know if I, I figure somebody must have told me of something because it's not like uh, I haven't rewatched that movie since uh, like in 20 years but uh I've seen different clips and uh yeah the difference is really stark oh that was funny to me yeah Times have changed. Yeah. I saw it uh, two years ago or so. We watched only one or two Disney movies with my kids. Uh, and all of us, except for my wife, were kind of like groaning about it being a musical suddenly. And that still still bugs me in those Disney movies. <laughs> that it's suddenly a musical. Yeah. It's like, okay, all right, I'm going to go make some more popcorn. I'll be back. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's for a very specific target audience. So yeah. I'm, I'm surprised your daughter didn't like it because that should be right up uh, her alley. Yeah, I mean, she was only like two at the time. So 
when she groaned, it was probably been for her stomach upset or something like that. But <laughs> yeah, G- give it a, a few more years and she'll be wearing princess dresses and all that stuff. Yeah, that has oh, been interesting S. to see how she'll gravitate to that shit without any external motivation. You know, it's not like I'm saying go watch princess shit, but she just naturally yeah. without any push. She's like, I want to watch this show. I'm like, oh, OK, sure. It's your choice. This, yeah, this garbage here. Sure. That's, you know, <laughs> that's what always makes me laugh because there's been these big theories about uh, assigned gender roles in society where if like in a perfect environment where a boy and a girl weren't pushed in any directions, they would neither have a preference for this thing or that thing. But I think any actual parent knows that your kid, like boys, like uh, trucks and swords and girls like princess stuff. I mean... Of course, there's always exceptions. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't. But, I, I I agree with you, but I think the the preconceived notion that there are hard rules on these things that to me is what's broken over time. Yeah, because sure. the fact yeah. that our culture does not uh, what's the word account for exceptions at all that's where the breakage of the problem is. I think because yeah, by by and large, yes, boys and girls in general fit to certain camps of entertainment. I think just or activities, but there are lots of exceptions. Huge number oh, of exceptions. Yeah, sure. I mean, if your daughter wants to, I don't know, cosplay as Link because she likes being Link and not uh, Zelda, who gives a shit? Like, good for her, right? Yeah. And same if a boy wants to, I don't know, to do like dancing or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's more of a case of if you look at like just general taste, uh, yeah, girls tend to gravitate to some types of things and boys tend to gravitate to other types of things. But yeah, I definitely agree that uh, basically... Like, who cares uh, what a kid likes? Just just let them enjoy themselves. It's right? crazy, man. Like, raising yep. a kid, like, you'll yeah. see, like, we, for the first seven or eight years of his life, you know, he picked whatever kind of shoes he wanted. He picked whatever kind of clothes he wanted. And sometimes he'd pick pink shoes and purple shoes and we're like, fucking cool. And then around seven or eight, you know, kids start noticing the differences. And they're like, why are you wearing pink shoes? Why are you wearing purple shoes? And, like, he'll tell me, like, they don't like my shoes. And I'm like, well, kids are jerks. And then... Oh, yeah. Kids, you know, kids are always like, oh, yeah, we want to be free. We want to be, be have freedom and not have rules. But you guys create these own rules for yourselves to mm. inflict pain on each other. You know, this is a, a prison that kids create for themselves by persecuting others. Yeah, I mean, peer pressure in um, in school uh, is, uh, yeah, it's really quite something. I'm also, I mean, it, it says something about human nature that kids will, like, always do that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and ends up with some bullying and stuff like that. And obviously, I mean, kids whose parents are jerks might reproduce or tend to reproduce their parents' behavior. But still, that, that is so widespread that, uh, I mean, part of me is like, hmm, isn't there a commentary about the nature of man in this? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that shit's real. You know, I've seen a kid grow up. Yeah, I've always been... Uh, uh, kind of uh, hard ass where I, I don't bow to like social pressure. So when I was a kid, I was like, I'll do what I want. Yeah, this this guy won't even watch The Wire. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I mean, that's just nothing. If, if you knew my, my, I mean, I just, I will not do something I don't want, even if like the entire world is doing it. It's just, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know what to say. So the next uh, uh, episode 373, we should not count on you being there. I mean, I could, hey, I mean, what are you talking about? Berserk, I'll be there to my, to my dying breath. 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, I if I don't want to do something, I won't do it. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. I will say I will indulge, uh, say inflict pain on myself uh, for Berserk. There we go. Yay! That's a posi- <laughs> positive note to end it on. Or c- coming across almost two hours here. I'm just going to wrap it up. And so yeah, podcast wise, boy, I guess we're just going to do 373 next, huh? Yeah. Keep it going. I mean, if we have to. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll see us back in a month for 373. And stay tuned sometime for the the rest of Volume 29's reread. See ya. See ya. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Skullcast is a production of Skullknight.net, a Berserk fan community. If you like what you heard, please visit patreon.com slash sknet. Donations there do not go towards the podcast, but instead toward our resident translator, Poila, who ensures that our members have access to high-quality, text-based translations of Berserk. Poila has also been translating interviews with Berserk's creator, Kentaro Miura. Many of these interviews have never been translated into English, so it's very exciting to read those. That kind of work simply wouldn't have happened without support from our donors. If you'd like to chip in a buck or two, please know that it all helps. Once again, that's patreon.com slash sknet. If you have a question or want to comment on the podcast, visit our forum, skullnet.net slash forum. Near the top, you'll see a section devoted to the podcast. There's always an active thread in there, so go ahead, leave a post, and someone's sure to respond quickly. Thanks for listening.